0: Welcome, welcome to the Stone Soup Podcast, created by Cody Sullivan for the River Power Podcast Mill Network. Welcome, welcome, Cody Sullivan here, and this is the Stone Soup Podcast, the show where I drag my friends on the internet to talk about their interests, and today... I am absolutely honored to share the airwaves with not just a friend, but the president of the American Go Association, Andrew Oaken. Andy, please say hello. 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 Now, for those listening who may not know what Go is, Go is a strategic board game played between two players. The board is a grid, typically 19 by 19, and it uses black and white stones to differentiate the players. The objective, at a glance, is a deceptively simple one. The player that claims the most territory on the grid is the winner. Andy, how am I doing so far? Right on target, Cody. Great, great. Uh, I was exposed to go when I was in LA. I had never heard of it before. It's not really something that we uh, uh, play up here in Vermont. Um, I immediately enjoyed the game. I played on a much smaller grid uh, than 19 by 19 um, because... Those games are very long and very challenging. But this leaves me with my first question about Go. So before the history, before what's happening now involving the game, I'd like to know, straight from a preeminent source, what is Go and how do you play? Um, I mean, you already got the gist of
1: it going. And as you point out, it's a deceptively simple game. Uh, It's a game you can, uh, you know, an intelligent person with a, a, a... a teacher or going online and looking, you know, on a, on a server or a teaching site can be playing in a half hour. Um, it is played by tens of millions of people around the world. It is very popular in China, Japan, and Korea, and is very well known in a, a lot of other countries. Technically, I think the way you would describe it is a two-person finite game of perfect information without chance. Um, What does that mean with perfect information? uh, With perfect information means both players are aware of the complete state of the game at any time. There are no hidden moves, there's no hidden information. Hmm. There's nothing that's going to surprise either of them, except a move by their opponent. Hmm. Uh, You can't see inside your opponent's brain, but other than that, there's nothing (laughs) hidden. Uh, Bridge, for example, is not a game of perfect information. It's an amazing game, but it's not a game of perfect information because there are hidden cards. Uh, You don't know what your opponents have. You don't know what gets dealt next. So anyway, that's the the technical description of the game. That description is shared by chess and also drafts, or checkers as we call it, uh, which are also very famous and very ancient games. Go being 2,700 years old at least, uh, is wow. is a game with a, with a lot of history and a lot of culture, and it plays a similar role in Asian societies as chess does in ours. It, it falls in that same category of the, the classic board games, the classic mind games. It is, as you said, played on a 19 by 19 board, although you can use smaller or larger boards if you want. Uh, we use smaller boards when people are starting out because it's a little easier to play on a 9x9 board than a 19x19 board at first, when you're not sure what's going on. You play, the black player plays first, white player plays uh, second, and you alternate turns, and the board gradually fills up with stones. You play on an intersection, an empty intersection of the board. Once the stones are on the board, they can be captured and removed, but they don't move
0: around on the board. The board just fills up with stones. And that's different than how you would play chess. That's Obviously, different. You have, yeah, you have pieces that move. The army moves uh, in chess. The fence posts don't move in, in Go. I love that, the that the fence posts don't move, because I think that when you were describing this game to me, when you were first showing it to me, you explained that it was almost like two people coming across a, a plot of land and they're each knocking in fence posts to try to get the larger portion of this open field. Yes. And I think that that's a very simple way to describe what Go is yes. and how you're playing.
1: Metaphorically, I say the, 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 it, it's a little less the army game and more a uh, range wars game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The, the image I like is the, the big empty valley and you have a a cow guy and a sheep guy, and they each Mm -hmm. have their rolls of barbed wire, and they start knocking in in fence posts. If the posts are too close together, you have a really well-fenced but not really very big ranch. If the fence posts are too far apart, or not near each other, or not lined up with each other well, you have excellent long fences, uh, but they're not surrounding things. The other guy can just have his fences going through yours and cutting them apart. You find your fences are in his ranch, where you can't get at them. So there's a balance between, you know, uh, fast and slow, uh, strong and fast in the game. And uh, the, the rule's pretty simple. You alternate turns, you play on the intersections. If a stone is completely surrounded or a bunch of stones of one color that are right next to each other, are completely surrounded, they're removed from the board. And actually those prisoners count as points at the at the end of the game. Um, so you don't wanna lose stones to your opponent, but mm-hmm. that's also not the purpose of the game and not the main thrust of the game. The main thrust of the game is the, the territory. The board keeps filling up and that's almost all of the rules.
0: Again, incredibly simple on the surface, incredibly simple. There
1: is a rule uh, that's kind of fun uh, that you can't repeat a board position. It's because uh, if a single stone is surrounded by three other stones and can be captured, but the stone that would capture it is also would be surrounded by three stones, then you have a little double star shape And the players could go back and forth. Bing, 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 bing. Forever. If that's a key spot on the board, then yes, you get an an infinite loop. And it Mm. is not allowed to be an infinite game. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so the uh, there have been many different and confusing ways that rule is stated. But it's summed up more easily for people who don't play the game yet as no infinite loops. If you've played... If you've captured one of the uh, those, the other player has to play somewhere else first before they go back and
0: recapture. But they can go back to that spot. So even though it's they not... They can an- go back
1: to that spot once the board has changed. And what it means is
0: you, you capture it. And uh, if
1: I want to recapture it, I have to make a threat that forces you to make a move somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so uh, idle threats, threats to make moves that are of no importance because there's definitely an easy response become important. The more of these idle threats you have around the board, the more easy it is to win one of these fights over the little infinite loop spot. And those fights have, uh, were one of the things, for example, that made it impossible for computers to play well for decades because they're very hard to program. And that's a rule we usually don't teach people the first time we teach them how to play because it often doesn't come up at all. So the rule is just your stones, if they're surrounded, get captured. And at the end, you count up the territory that you're completely surrounding and any prisoners or isolated stones and whoever has the largest point total. Uh, Because the black player goes first, the white player gets a few extra points that we call komi for being the Mm -hmm. second to play in in an even game.
0: Yeah, I think that Go does an incredible job, better than most board games, of introducing parody. And you, we can talk for a minute about the handicap system, yeah, because it's it's very interesting. Because a lot of board games, if like if you're again, and and we're gonna make a lot of comparisons to chess, I think throughout this. Um, but if you're playing chess with somebody and they are a grandmaster at chess, and you are a casual player, there's no built-in handicap. Well, you know, okay, the grandmaster's going to start with three less pawns or something. That's not how you play chess. But in Go... There is a way to have somebody who is, you know, maybe one of the greatest, you know, go players in the world can play with a guy who's an amateur like me. And there is a way to introduce a certain level of parody. I would still definitely lose, but there is a way <laughs> to introduce some parody. So I want you to talk about that. What does the handicap system look like? Um, the handicap system uh, is an advantage of the game. Um, And on the 19
1: by 19 board, it works very smoothly. You pick a number of handicap stones and you pre-place them on the board. Uh, There are nine stones on the board uh, at the intersection that's sort of four rows in and four rows up uh, in each of the four corners. There are sort of highlighted points that are called star points. And then there's also on the middle of each side, four rows in and then in the exact center of the board. So there's nine star points. And uh, whatever number of stone handicaps uh, handicap you want to have, you put that number of black stones on those, and then white plays first. And then there's no combing. Uh right. So you don't get uh, white doesn't get the extra points for going second. Mm-hmm. Um, what that means is uh, you know if there, you put nine stones, you cover all the nine uh, star points, that's a pretty big handicap cap. Mm -mm. White has to fight back against, there's already nine fence posts on the board. And you can start fencing territory right away, although that's not the best way to play. And you can actually add more stones if you need. If you Mm -hmm. really want to have a fun fight with uh, a national champion versus someone who learned yesterday, (laughs) you can put 25 (laughs) stones on the board. And it will be an education for both
0: players.
1: (laughs) Yeah, basically, it's like the black player gets nine free moves. You put nine stones on, uh, if you want eight, you just uh, have eight. You don't put one on the center, one in the board. You get down to two stones, you put it in uh, two opposite corners. And with one stone, uh, a one stone handicap is basically black goes first, Mm -hmm. a la pre-placing a stone, uh, but white doesn't get the Comey points. Right, yes. So that a one stone handicap is effectively no-komi. Um, right. And this works very smoothly uh, because the game, the, the famous openings don't appear, but the famous openings are uh, important in a very different way in Go than they are in chess. And it is very much the same game. So you have a two stone handicap and start playing. You have an advantage, but you're definitely playing Go. It's much harder in chess to do that. If you play chess and don't play with uh, with a rook, the there, it's definitely a chess education game in a sense, uh, right. and it's definitely a handicap game. But that really changes what the game is a lot. Right. Uh, that you know that the player can't castle on that side, and mm. the other player has a material advantage, and so there's a lot of you know trading off that can can happen. So it's, it becomes a very different game very quickly. So this handicapping uh, also approximately goes with the rank system in Go. And the rank system that we use, because we sort of took it from from the, ter- the terminology from Japan, is tremendous fun. As you play, uh, people will assess your strength and give you, as you're a beginner, a Q ranking. Uh, or a, a novice player ranking that descends. So you mm-hmm. might start at 30 Q. Okay, if you play for a month or two, you'll very quickly go down and probably get around 20 Q. And then if you keep playing, you'll steadily march and you'll mm-hmm. be very happy when you get to single digit Q. When you get to one Q, you're a decently strong amateur. Uh, and if you get stronger than that, we start calling you a one Don amateur. Okay. And that terminology goes up to seven Don amateur. And Don and Q, that terminology, is the same as what they use in uh, Aikido and Karate and Judo. Right, right. And uh, the Q ranks are like colored belts, and mm-hmm. the Don ranks are like black belts. Right. And that sort of comparison to say, uh, okay, I'm a, you know, I'm a two Don amateur, that's like second degree black belt, mm-hmm. um, is uh, culturally legitimate. And getting to two Don Amateur, if you're starting, particularly if you're starting as an adult, uh, is hard. It takes a long time and it (laughs) takes some study. You got to put time into it and it's not easy. And at a certain point, as you're getting to a low single digit Q, if you're a two or a three Q and you want to become a Don player, there come points when you have to stop how you're playing and Mm -hmm. restart some of how you play and get better at it. And change
0: your habits and become the stronger player. Um, And and more than just playing the game, you then have to also, it would benefit you to be reading about the game. Because as this is an ancient game, there is volumes of of literature out there on how to play and how to get better. And how to change your tactics and how to change the way that you play.
1: Yes, there is. And that stuff is still useful. It's especially still useful for an amateur player. Um, but the huge libraries of, uh, you know, both ancient and modern wisdom on how to play go have a cloud hanging over them now, Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) which we'll talk about later in the show.
0: Yes. Uh, which,
1: and it's a pretty fascinating cloud, but it's definitely there. Uh, it is, it is like, uh, having a library of, of, um, a library of uh, knowledge of of medicine in the age of the Human Genome Project. Right. <laughs> right. There's, It's beautiful. <laughs> you want to have the library. <laughs> if you know everything that's in the library, you're an amazing person. But there's something missing. <laughs> and it's coming for
0: you. I want to talk about the history of the game a little bit because... Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I think is so fascinating about Go is how old it is. Mm-hmm. And so again, we're making some comparisons to chess here because it's it's ubiquitous and a lot of people know about it. So while it's believed that the game of chess was created in the 6th century in India, the origin of Go is much, much older to the tune of thousands of years that kind of longevity in a game is a testament both to its simplicity to learn and the complex nuances that are beneath the surface. So I wanna know what is known about the origin of Go and why do you think it has managed to survive into the 21st century with no real signs of slowing down?
1: By way of history, it seems that it was likely invented in China and its legendary history in China is, you know, 4,300 years ago. The, wow. the Emperor Yao invented it to enlighten his son, supposedly. Uh, and there's a different legend that the Emperor Shun invented it to teach his son. Um, and I don't know the difference between those two emperors. The sources of those legends, it's it's just too murky. If you want to start getting harder evidence for it, You go to the 6th century B.C., and uh, Confucius, a famous philosopher and source of the civic philosophy or religion of Confucianism, mentioned Go in his Analects. And um, mentions then start to accumulate over the the following centuries. By the 1st century uh, A.D., there are texts about the game, diagrams of the game start to appear, and then there's uh, lots of writing about it by, by 1300 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it does seem as though through all of this time it was played by approximately the same rules. I, I had thought for a while that it was the oldest game played by the same rules. I think there's an argument that backgammon is older by that standard.
0: Backgammon is very old. Backgammon is old.
1: Very old game. And backgammon (laughs) has survived from just being a hell of a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think Go has survived because it has a a sort of a threefer. It's got three three legs for the stool here. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, one is the simplicity. Uh, it really has a very simple set of rules, um, and so it's possible for those rules not to, to be argued about too much, not to change too much. And a second is that uh, it po- probably is an outgrowth of the simple set of rules, has a tremendous amount of depth. There's a lot of ways the game can go, and a lot of things you can learn, but don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um so there are always things that you're discovering. Uh, and if you're looking for something where there's always things to be discovered, that that is there. And the third is that it's a lot of fun. Uh, there's right. an American uh, player, a uh, friend, Jim Cunningham, who describes Go as uh, an activity in which two people uh, who love puzzles take turns <laughs> giving gifts to each other. <laughs> <laughs> and it's but, really kind of right you know you get into mm-hmm. a, a a a game with each other and if you're not a professional player looking for a you know a victory uh, to reward your career then you are having fun with a friend uh you know uh and then doing it again another day um mm-hmm. and yeah one of you loses the game But it's, uh, it's certainly a game. Somebody once called it um, uh, a protracted game. Uh, There was a book analyzing the game and uh, modern Chinese history using the game as a metaphor that called it the protracted game. Mm. And it definitely is uh, in a sense that um, a little different than chess. Chess uh certainly has strategy but the the sort of metaphorical frame of it is a skirmish Mm -hmm. and if you lose a key piece or a key position in the middle of the skirmish that may be the game you know maybe you survive come back reposition and have another go so maybe there's a second part of the battle or episode of the battle Uh, a game of go can go on and you can be behind and come back. You can be losing in one part of the board and winning in the other. The fights that you have can become separated. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And in the end game, they definitely become separated. The end game is all over the board and you have to pick which part of the board you play in because you can only play in one part at once. So there is that protracted nature of it.
0: Yeah, so it seems that chess is a skirmish, go is a war.
1: Yeah, a battle, a battle and a war.
0: Another reason I think that Go, uh, and this is just me postulating, but another reason I think that Go has managed to survive uh, uh, so well is because it's an incredibly simple to manufacture a Go board out of things that you may have lying around. Yes. You, could, you could draw a grid on a large piece of paper and use bottle caps instead of stones if you wanted to. Yes, Um, It is very simple in terms of the equipment that you need to play, and that makes it readily available to two people who know how to play the game that may not have a Go board and stones can pretty quickly come up with a way to play Go using things they have just lying around. That's right. And and that is different in a way to you know we mentioned backgammon earlier. Well, if you don't have a backgammon board, it's a lot harder to play backgammon. You know, if you don't have a chessboard, yes, it's it's okay. You can still make you know little things like okay, red bottle cap is is pawn, and black is is the rook and whatever. But it's a lot more complicated, and it takes a lot more figuring out uh, before you can get started playing. Um, go on the other hand is is very quick to put together in the event that let's say you're on a deserted island with another person who knows how to play
1: yeah do you want me to go through a little sort of cultural history of it? Yes that would be great okay uh, originally played in China and spread uh, with Chinese culture around Asia and was a you know one of the one of the traditional uh, arts of the cultured Chinese person, uh, along with uh, music and poetry and, and, uh, and painting. It is believed to have spread to Japan around the seventh century and became an immediate favorite, uh, as in China, among um, uh, the, the noble class as well as regular folks. And it became a, a, a thing for a Japanese lord to have a go teacher or player as part of the court or the household Um, Mm -hmm. retinue. When the shoguns took over in the uh, 17th century, uh, the Tokugawa government uh, began to subsidize uh, four major Go houses. And uh, they had uh, rivalries among each other. They provided players to the various courts around Japan and began a history of both Go study and Go competition that has continued sort of continuously till today in Japan, and for a long time, uh, people all over Asia, including Korea and China, played. Um, but the biggest organized Go teaching and Go competition was happening in Japan. And uh, you know, if you had a talented kid uh, in China who learned to play and was you know uh, prodigal or prodigious in in, in his talent. Um, they might go to Japan to become part of the the, the Go world there. This period of history in Japan uh, provides most of the legendary old players and also some of the legendary games. There is the famous triple Ko game. There is a uh, a situation that can happen. I told you before about the infinite loops. Yes. Well, you can also have an infinite loop uh, where you play in one Ko and the other player responds by retaking in another co, and you respond by retaking in a third co, and you get a little infinite loop going around where you're each seizing one of the other two (laughs) uh, of these spots that can flip back and forth. There is some of the sets of rules say if you get into a triple co and play it out, even just one round, uh, the game ends and is a draw. Wow. (laughs) There is uh, one famous game that was played between uh, the Honinbo, one of the four houses it was called, the most famous of them was Honinbo, and the Honinbo Sansa was a famous player in 1582 playing against Kashio Rigen, uh, and the warlord Nobunaga um, was the, uh, the nobleman sitting and watching. They got to a triple ko, and the game ended with no result. The next night, Nobunaga's uh, rival rebelled uh, surrounded the temple that the game had happened in and killed him.
0: Oh, God, no. <laughs> uh,
1: and uh, people took the Triple Co as the omen. Yeah. Um, so it's bad luck to have a Triple Co in your game. There's another uh, game, a uh, particularly intense one, that happened in 1835. Uh, medical knowledge was much more rudimentary at the time and um, Honinbo Joa won, but the game was so intense and so hard fought as uh, Akaboshi and Tetsu, the other player, fought back against uh, brilliant moves by Joa that at the end of the match, Akaboshi and Tetsu vomited up blood and died.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> he probably died of something. Of something, sure. But at
1: the time... Without knowledge of infectious disease and, you know, aware of the uh, health consequences of acute stress, they attributed it to the game. <laughs> <laughs> so if you look up the blood vomiting game, uh, a few years later was the ear reddening game and probably the most famous Go player in all of history, Oninbo Shusaku. Young man, only 17 years old, and he was uh, facing one of the oldest and most established Go players in Japan. And uh, it was a kind of a quiet game, and if you look at it as an amateur player like me, my strength, you can't see something amazing happening in it. But they got to the middle of the game, and all of the, you know, famous and strong Go players in the room thought Shusaku was losing. Um, but there was one particular move, uh, move, move 127, and uh, one of the people watching the game was a, was a doctor. And the, the other spectators were muttering about how uh, Gennan Yonseki was winning. And the doctor said, Well, I don't know who's winning. I'm not a good, good enough Go player. But when Shusaku made that move, uh, Gennan's ears turned red. <laughs> <laughs> Shusaku went on to move uh, to win the game and by only two points. Um, uh, and people went back afterwards and analyzed that move and have written whole books about it. About that one Uh, move. About that one move. Uh, Here's one of the things they teach you as you're learning the game, which is really good moves have more than one meaning. Mm -hmm. You're attacking his stones, but you're also strengthening yours. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're creating territory, but you're also preventing some later attack. You're securing a position, but you're also getting rid of co threats things like that. Um, Mm. So you want to have two things going on with your move. Always be looking for the multiple meanings for moves. That will make you a stronger player. Um, They found four meanings for uh, the the ear-reddening move. (laughs) (laughs) And the the other famous uh, game, uh, which has a lot of meaning for uh, modern players, is the so-called atomic bomb game which was played between uh, Hashimoto Otaru and Iwamoto uh, Kaoru. And uh, Iwamoto is uh, revered all over the world among uh, Go players uh, Mm -hmm. because uh, he has really put resources into trying to spread the game around the world Mm -hmm. and for the very best of reasons. Anyway, uh, he was, uh, I believe, defending the Honinbo title, which by then had become not ahead of a household but just a regular uh uh or not a regular very famous uh title match one of the seven main title tournaments in in japan and uh, this was in uh august of 1945 uh the they were having the uh, the second game of the honinbo match the 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 final showdown it was a multi-game final and this was the the second game of it
0: mm-hmm.
1: um And uh, back in those days, uh, you would play games over many days. The players would sit in a quiet room, look at the board, and play every few hours, and someone would keep time, and you'd have a time limit. But the game could go on for days with sealed moves overnight. The game was going to take place in Tokyo when uh, some official decided, you know, Tokyo's getting bombed a lot. Uh, we're going to move it to some city that isn't getting bombed so much. Oh no! So they moved it <laughs> to downtown Hiroshima. Great. And um, some civil defense or police official in Hiroshima said, you know what, Hiroshima could get bombed too. Maybe you should play in a suburb. And they moved it away from the city center
0: mm-hmm.
1: and started playing. And on the third day of the game... There was a, a blast, the windows shattered, and everybody was knocked over, and the stones were blown off the board. And they figured, oh, somebody must have dropped a bomb nearby. Right. They picked everything up, replaced the stones, and played on, uh, finished the game with Hashimoto Taru winning. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when the game was over, you know, went outside and began to learn of what had happened to the, the city. Um, right. And it pretty much set Iwamoto on a, on a path for the rest of his life of trying to unify the world through Go. Mm. And when he was getting old, he used his money to set up four Go centers around the world. Uh, one of them is still going in Seattle. Uh, there was one in New York, but it's kind of, it was sold and turned into a foundation. And now it has helped open the National Go Center in Washington, D.C., Anyway, uh, Iwamoto is revered for that vision, and if you go to the GO Center in Seattle, there's a picture of a GO board on the side of the building with a GO position on it. Yep. It's the position the board was at when the bomb went off.
0: Wow. I, I yeah. mean, if, if an atomic bomb doesn't prevent you from finishing a game of GO, <laughs> I don't think anything will. Um, that, is, that is an incredible story. I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, when you introduced that you are the current president, or rather I introduced that you're the current president of the American Go Association, this role has seen you travel to China and Japan and Korea on numerous occasions, probably other places as well, but not specifically to play but to play emissary and represent the United States as it pertains to the game of Go. Yes. My question for you is this. What does it mean to be the president of the AGA? And what kind of responsibilities does that entail? And how did you end up finding this game to begin with?
1: (laughs) I've always been a game player. I enjoyed chess. I never got good at it. Uh, the, The business of learning openings didn't mesh well with my head for some reason as a child and or i was too spooked by losing um and uh in all of these games you confront losing uh and in fact one of the uses of the game and i kind of had this as a conscious thought is to confront the fear of being embarrassed or losing uh if that spooks you i'm gonna look stupid uh I don't want to do it I don't want to be seen to you know be doing badly it's a good game everyone loses everyone Mm -hmm. loses a lot Uh, I could play constantly for the rest of my life and I could never match the amount of public and humiliating losing Mm -hmm. that the best players do I just couldn't they lose on Mm -hmm. national TV you know all three of those countries that you mentioned Japan Korea and China have more than one 24-hour go channel on which there are all (laughs) day and night professional players, Mm -hmm. one of whom is losing and uh, you learn how to do it. And you learn how to learn from it and you learn how to pick yourself up and come back. Um, You don't learn how to ignore it because then Mm -hmm. you might not bother playing. If you weren't, didn't care about winning, maybe loses a little bit. Losing sucks. And you get up and you play again and it's fun anyway mm-hmm. you you enjoy it and um through the losing you can become a better player it's not guaranteed just losing games right. doesn't make you a better player <laughs> but you can learn from the losing and uh, a famous uh famous japanese player who asked to get a at a lecture or go congress uh what to you know what what would he tell american players he said stop trying so hard to find the perfect move for this game Play the move you want to play and have fun relax uh, and then when the game is over look at the game and look how it went mm. and study it and then maybe next time you want to make a different move <laughs> because maybe that move didn't work out <laughs> but don't focus so much uh, and become all you know tight and angry and unhappy because you have to win this game. (laughs) And uh, I could Mm -hmm. see the audience was just not convinced by it. It It's like, "Eh, you know, we're supposed to be trying to win. And he said, ask yourselves, which would you rather? Would you rather win the game you're playing right now or become a stronger Mm -hmm. player? And that shut us up. (laughs) A lot of people were sitting and thinking about that for a a while. Which do you want if you lost most of the games you played and each time you became just a more amazing GO player? Mm That would be tempting, in a way. Anyway, um, so uh, I always liked uh, games. I played war games and board games and uh, uh, poker and gambling games and, and, you know, some chess. I love Japanese chess, which is just wild fun, uh, even more than than Western chess. I was going through a mall with my daughter, Emily, uh, when she was uh, eight and had heard about the game and that it was easy to play. And I had tried to teach both my kids to play chess and really not gotten anywhere with it. And they weren't interested. And I'd heard that Go had relatively easy rules. So we bought a a Go set and uh, I played it with Emily for a month. And we had a lot of fun. And then as eight-year-olds are wont to do, she got interested in something else and wandered off. And I was an addict (laughs) already. got, got right into my dopamine system and I went online and yes, you can learn and play online all you want. And uh, pandemic aside, there's a, probably a go club near you. If you're in a big enough city, uh, or you can, these days you can make one. Um, and, uh, so there's lots to learn, uh, and lots of ways of learning. And I started playing more and more, um, and, uh, about mm-hmm. a year or two into playing online, I decided, you know, I have a lot of hobbies, and this is another hobby, and I'm not doing it very well. Like my other 20 hobbies, I'm not doing it very well. I need another half-assed hobby like I need a hole drilled in my head. So I'm going to do this properly. And I went out to see uh, if there were tournaments in Los Angeles. And there was one a year, which is kind of not a lot, not really a lot enough to getting going with and there was much less online playing at the time this was in uh, 2003 or 4. so uh, after a year or two of a little frustration about this and i was taking lessons and playing online as much as i could i organized our local club into having an additional tournament and organized another tournament after that and then organized a big tournament mm-hmm. uh, at the request of somebody from from aga then i went to the US Go congress which is our big annual meeting tremendous fun. Just eight days of enjoying the game and meeting people from all over the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we have it in a different place every year. Anyway, I went to one in the, the woods of North Carolina and since then have been to all of them. So one of the fun things about the game, the way it is um, uh, ranked, so it's, you don't know, you know, just have some, some number. I mean, numbers can be good, but um, uh, in the same way that in chess, yes, you have your ELO number. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it goes up and maybe you're 1893 and you go up to 1917 and you're really happy about that. Um, But you also want to be a master or an international master or a grandmaster. Right. They have these these named ranks. Mm -hmm. Well, we have 10Q, 9Q, 8Q, blah, 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 5Q, 3Q, 2Q, 1Q, 1DON. And you bet that's motivating and it has nothing to do with enjoying the game. It's a black belt. (laughs)
0: <laughs> absolutely well and, it, and it, i want my black belt it's also satisfying right because then you get to see the so progress that you're making satisfying
1: and i i first uh, got to somewhere in the world uh, a rank of one don around uh 2010 and i was just very happy about that mm-hmm. i haven't gotten a lot farther since then because i've been <laughs> aga president and, and i'm old and everything but I did get there. Sure. And uh, yeah, it's a way for a person who is uh, old or uh, portly or asthmatic or has only one leg to get a black belt that is culturally legitimate <laughs> that, and hard. That Sorry, it's not easy. Right. Um, you know, it's, it is not hard, I think, to get to 20Q and it's worth doing and pat yourself on the back and then head for 10Q if you can. If you Time or effort into it, or, or you have a, a very sprightly brain. Um, maybe that's maybe that's not hard, um, and you just get the satisfaction of, of going up. And at some point, you reach a point where it gets a little harder going up, and you decide: Do you want to? Do you want to go on? Um, now, in Europe and America, we have just added uh, to China, Japan, Korea. Uh, and Taiwan, each of which have professional Go systems. And professional, uh, usually you get to by uh, winning a, a tournament of some kind, yep. uh, and it's very hard. Most people who are pros learned when they were little kids, mm-hmm. uh, and in some countries, uh, you know, Japan and Korea especially, they become pros after becoming effectively full-time students, apprentices of Go, when they're Mm ten you know nine or ten and um when you become a pro you go back to one don in a sense uh but you're a one don professional Professional and it's a completely different thing uh a one don pro and you don't know how strong a person is uh based on their either one all the way up to nine don professional Mm Nine Don professional is uh, often a, a title holder or someone who's won a you know an international championship or one of their country's titles. A one Don pro is usually someone who became pro recently
0: mm-hmm.
1: or simply hasn't you know won a lot. But uh, other than that, nines are likely to be have been stronger at some time in their life. Um, you can't really tell how strong a person is from that um, that rank. Uh, I began showing up to volunteer for things, you know, teaching at a at a Japanese cultural fair or going to the weekly club and teaching there, organizing a tournament. Mm -hmm. Um, Our club in Santa Monica met at a coffee shop Mm -hmm. and the uh, owner of the coffee shop let us meet there for free and uh, not not for free. She let us use it for our first tournament Mm -hmm. for free. Um, So I called it the Santa Monica Coffee Cup.
0: Ah, yes. (laughs) And
1: we, until this year, where it looks like it's going to be hard to do, uh, we had a Santa Monica Coffee Cup every year from 2007 till till last year. Wow. So, and there were things I thought that the American Go Association could do to encourage local organizers and stuff, and I asked about it. And it's a volunteer organization. If you show up and start doing things, they put you in charge of other things. Mm -hmm. And after a few years of, of that. Um I ran for the board of directors. Yep. Uh was a director for a few years and then was in charge of the board of directors when they had to pick a new president and um they picked me.
0: <laughs> well that must have been an honor.
1: Show show up and do it. <laughs> right. It's a you know show it's a volunteer it. hobby organization. You show up and do things uh you you get to be in charge. Yes, responsibility
0: um, to the responsible as it seems. <laughs> yes.
1: Now I work at home and my time is my own, is a big part of what makes it easier for me Mm -hmm. to to do it. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons I decided to take up the post, my graduate degree years and years ago was in international relations. Mm -hmm. And the American Go Association was the first entity that had ever allowed me to do international relations on its behalf.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's sort of the responsibilities that come with being president, right? Is that you do yeah. travel to, to these other countries yeah. and you are much of the time. I'm just standing there in a suit, but <laughs> um, it, it's been a lot of fun and, and fascinating. <laughs> that's incredible. I'm going to shift us now into talking about something that people maybe aware of because it was in the news quite a bit and this happened just a few years ago. The Alpha Zero program created by the UK based DeepMind team played a Mm -hmm. historic set of games against the top ranked Go player in the entire world, I think at the time, Lee Sedol. It was a best of five series and while before the series began, Lee firmly believed he would win, when the series was over he only managed to score one victory over the AI. What's more interesting about this story is that the AI was able to learn how to play Go simply by playing itself in simulated games over and over again. Uh, what do you think was the cultural significance of the Lee vs. AlphaGo series? And how did it affect the world of Go, knowing that these AI programs were able to best humanity's top players at that time? There was a momentary psychological hit. hmm because up until
1: then, the time between when, when Deep Blue first beat a human chess champion mm-hmm. uh, in the mid-90s to uh, 2016, uh, computers could not play Go well. Uh, and it was because computers are kind of forced to play, were forced to play, uh, using Tree Search more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And the Tree of Go combinatorially is too big. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in a game of chess, you have 30 moves to choose from. Right. Um, And that's pretty big and that's hard to, that's a very large tree. If you're thinking three moves ahead, Mm -hmm. that's a vast number for a human, but computers could with some trickery, get through it and be good at at chess. In Go, uh, you know, in the first hundred moves, both players all the time have, you know, more than 300, 250 or 300 moves to pick from Mm -hmm. and is very large and it's not easy to describe which is the small set of possibly good moves Mm -hmm. and um using monte carlo methods improved the software a bit but not to the point where it could beat a proper you know strong go player Mm -hmm. and we really liked that (laughs) you know a good solid amateur strong amateur go player could beat biggest supercomputer in the world mm-hmm. we like that and uh, you know and, and at the time uh, the best chess player in the world could, couldn't beat his own cell phone and uh, which had to have been depressing
0: um <laughs> when you say it like that <laughs> well
1: now we're kind of where the chess people were and i thought uh that the 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 thing that was going to be important to us was that you know change of position was that going to take away some of our motivation were we going to be less anxious to be go players mm-hmm. and that doesn't seem to have happened what did happen one thing that happened which uh, uh, chess people I spoke to predicted was cheating
0: mm.
1: it's way easier to cheat yeah no I asked a guy running a big chess tournament uh at a mind games uh, event that I was at you know what's going to happen to go and he's cheating cheating they're going to cheat in the bathrooms they're going to cheat in the hallways they're going to sit there and cheat <laughs> you always got to worry about cheating I was like, oh, all right. Well, yeah, we now have that problem. Now, Go players need to leave their cell phones out at the desk. Um, I, you know, I think soon going to be some games where you just have to sit and play through the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like the the old days where the games would be three days long. Now the mm-hmm. games are a few hours
0: long. And how would they cheat with their cell phone? Would they have some sort of Go program on their phone that was able to tell them what the best move? Pretty soon you're going to get there, but
1: basically you can communicate the outside world and the outside world has, uh, you know, computers in it that using now a half a dozen different uh, really strong AIs can find a move that can beat your opponent, mm-hmm. which wasn't clear. I mean, a top level goal wasn't clear before. If you're playing for a championship game, you go outside and communicate with a friend. That's definitely cheating, but it's not clear that you're going to win. Right. Uh, You go outside and get on your phone now, you can communicate with an entity that can find a move that will destroy your opponent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it means even for us, you know, in hobby organizations outside of Asia, um, that it's hard now to have games that are for something important that are online. Mm -hmm. And that's a a problem in America where we don't have millions of Go players. Right and we don't have millions of dollars to fly the Go players around. And now we don't have face to face games for a short time. I hope a short time Mm -hmm. due to the pandemic. So we can't have games for big money or games that count as qualifiers for international events online so easily unless we have a proctor in the room with both players, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that has has happened culturally more more at a deeper level and differently than chess because Chess computers play the game of chess as it was known 30 years ago, mm-hmm. but they play it better than we do. It's still not exactly clear. First of all, if the game that we play, the game that's in all those millennia of books about how to play Go, the, the openings, the patterns, if that game is an optimal or good way of playing go Mm -hmm. the game might be completely different all of our rules of thumb might be wrong Mm -hmm. it might be you know that if we start playing tennis against robots that the optimal way of playing tennis and a few talented people can learn to do it uh is to only hit the ball with the little round part at the (laughs) end of the handle Right, right right that robot might say what is this with the net Thing, <laughs> I hit it with this, and I hit it just right. I nail it and win every time. Mm-hmm. And, and this <laughs> kind of the way to play. <laughs> this goes back to the we- idea that,
0: that it learned how to play the 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 AlphaGo learned yeah. how to play by well, playing itself, right?
1: Uh sort of. The first version that they played in secret against a you know middling pro, um, they taught using a large library of human games. Mm-hmm. They then let it improve against itself, and the version that they made public uh, to play against Lee Sedol. Lee Sedol was probably not the very strongest at the moment he played, but he was the most recent world genius. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the strongest players in the world were all Japanese up until about the 80s. Uh, And then the Chinese were the strongest for a few years after they really started to take it seriously Mm post-Mao. Um, uh, they, they worked very hard at it, but then in the nineties, the Korean system took over and a, a guy named, um, Yun became world champion and go took over Korea for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, this had just gone from being a poor country to a rich country, an unsuccessful country to a successful country. Mm-hmm. And now this game that they all loved, but which sort of is a cultural position of dominoes was a game with a world championship and a Korean won it. And 10,000 go schools were set up. A lot of people played. There were a lot of tournaments and they got a second world genius. Um, a guy named Lee Chang Ho. Mm-hmm. And then 10 years later, they got a third world champion genius who was beating all the players in the world. Lee Se-do, mm-hmm. um, who has now retired. And now it's, the, the the Chinese uh, are doing really well and they're the strongest players in the world most of the time. Koreans are competing with them. Japanese are trying to catch up. But Lee Se-Dol was the sort of most successful in the 10 years prior mm-hmm. and respected everywhere, beloved everywhere. Uh, so Chinese go public, revered Lee Se-Dol, Japanese go public, revered Lee Se-Dol, all, all of us, the rest of the world. Revered Isedal, he was he was the guy, and yes, he thought he was going to win. Um, many people were trying to judge uh, AlphaGo before the Isedal match based on the sample games in that they published in their Nature article. That was only ten games. You can't judge an AI based on how it plays ten games, and you can't judge an AI based on how it's playing ten games. Uh, against a mid-level pro to see how it's going to play against a top pro right and the problem is it's trying to maximize its chance of winning not its score we humans including top pros will use score as a proxy for how well we're doing i'm 15 points ahead i need to play solid and bring it in okay so i can lose afford to lose five points right um but we're not going to say, I'm 15 points ahead, so how do I lose 14 and a half points and still win <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in order to slightly increase my percentage guarantee based on my estimation module mm-hmm. of winning? Right. And the computer will definitely do that. It will look for slow, dull, dumpy looking moves. hmm in the first game of the AlphaGo match against Lise Sedol, which we thought for the longest time Lise Sedol was winning, mm-hmm. the, the pro commentator, uh, it was an American actually, um, Michael Redmond, was saying, this seems like a slow move. Uh, maybe it's not playing well. Right. And we all thought that too. Um, by the third game, he was saying, that's uh, not. that wouldn't be a move I would make. That seems like a very slow, inefficient move. Mm-hmm that may be an indication that the computer thinks it's far ahead. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That may be a sign that the human is losing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, again, let's say you have an AI robot that is teaching itself how to play better and you have the human going against it and the human is, is 10 meters behind in the foot race because you're having Mm. a foot race, a robot versus human middle distance runner. Uh, and the uh, robot is going thunk 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 really slowly and the human is catching right up and the the robot has calculated my danger of overheating is one in a thousand if i walk really slowly uh, while the other guy runs the next nine and a half meters I'll cool down a 10th of a degree and my chance of overheating will be one in 10,000 and then I run to be a third of a meter ahead of the guy for the rest of the race
0: right (laughs) (laughs) so
1: uh, people are looking how it's playing against the mid-level pro they've only got 10 games games to go on and the deep mind people didn't let anyone publicly play it and played it against itself to learn to be stronger and nobody at the time knew how fast an ai computer go player uh, how fast it would get better when playing against itself it might gain the equivalent of one rank in a year of playing against itself or it might gain one rank every 10 minutes and time isn't a thing Uh, maybe it's just resources are a thing Maybe Mm -hmm. you have it running to teach itself how to play on a very powerful laptop. It needs a million games to get a rank stronger, and it plays a million games in a month. Mm -hmm. Or you have it going on a 50 supercomputer complex, and it does that in 10 seconds.
0: (laughs) Which is a horrifying thought. And
1: everybody (laughs) trying to figure out, can Lee Sedol win against the improved one, had no idea what the resources were Mm -hmm. that AlphaGo was using to play against itself. Anyway... But it was still, by the way, uh, a version of AlphaGo that included human knowledge. Okay. It had about a half a million games worth of knowledge in its base module mm-hmm. that did, or taught the first round of neural networks. Anyway, Lisa Dole won the fourth game uh, with an amazing move that just found a chink in the computer's armor and the computer fell apart and started making bizarre moves, mm-hmm. um, which is an important, That was actually an important illustration for AI and neural networks and how they work because they are an amazing and powerful tool full of strange chinks. All kinds of strange things can happen if you get outside of uh, what you thought when you were designing the AI to begin with, but you let it design itself more.
0: Mm
1: -mm. Um, uh, You know, if both wings fall off an airplane and you have the AI pilot
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The human pilot, both wings fell off. We are now all dead. Yeah. <laughs> Get right on it. I'm sorry, the wings have fallen off. We're going to die in five minutes. Use cell phones if you can to speak to your loved ones or write your death poem and put it in your pocket. I'm sorry. The AI pilot uh, might turn up the AC <laughs> 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 or put on the seatbelt light. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it doesn't have a, f- you know,
0: who knows. Anyway, right. it went off the rails. Mm-hmm. That was the last game and at that point that he won the fourth game. He had already lost the series. He right? had already lost it... the series. Okay.
1: And uh... Uh, people called his move in that the the god move. It was not. Uh, I think in in metaphorical terms, it was a hero move. Mm-hmm. It was very human, and it was a flawed move. There are answers to it that people have found since then,
0: mm-hmm.
1: buddy pulled it out his ass and won the battle uh so it was a hero move right it was a human flawed hero
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and it was the last game a human will win against a cutting edge go ai mm-hmm. so that was a thing and it was incredibly tense i was in Seoul for that it, it was really tense the three previous days when he lost the games
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh even in the 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 Korean chess room, mm. there was unbelievable cheering in the, the local press corps and the whole
0: building and then the world of Go. Uh, when um, he won that fourth game, Yeah, I'm, that's a victory for humanity. Yeah, <laughs> the,
1: the human lesson outside of this, uh, neural network technology, it can't do everything yet, but it is incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Um. The results people have gotten with layered neural networks, with, you know, beating the game of Go and developing AIs for it since then, because it's something now people can do with a lot less resources than DeepMind had. Compared with all the prior methods of AI that had been used, uh, a thousand to one, the results. Mm -hmm. So it can't be used for everything, but it can be used for a lot of things, and it'll be very creative, and we won't know where
0: stuff comes from that it it comes up with. Uh, It's just shockingly powerful. So we have time for one more question, and I want to bring it back to you, Andy, and your play. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is... An incredible understatement uh, to say that you enjoy this game. Uh, yet, yet uh, your responsibility as president of the AGA doesn't mean that all you do is play or that you're the best in the country or anything like that. Still, you play often, perhaps daily. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was curious about your journey through the rankings. How tough was it for you to gain ranks in Go? And how long did it take you? And Can you tell me about your favorite match of Go that you've ever played?
1: So yeah, I started, I play online and I probably play most days unless I'm traveling. Like any skilled thing, it isn't just playing, uh, you know, if you're you're trying to to improve at a skill, oh god, I forget the the term, but uh, guided practice, Mm -hmm. uh, effortful practice is what you need. And for Go, as with other games, uh, that means You play, you play hard and try and win. And then when the game is over, you review the game and see how you could have played better. And yes, you do learn something from playing and not reviewing, but it's much better to review. Mm -hmm. And there are things to to learn along the way. We have a thing, uh, problems, uh, local problems on the board where uh, one player is trying to kill a group and the other player is trying to save the group. And there's usually an answer, whether it can live or die. And these are called life and death problems. Mm Uh, and they can be either in the form, is the group alive, or what's the status of the group, or, you know, black or white to play, get the best result, mm-hmm. uh, or kill, kill the other player's group. Um, and you can do those problems. There are problem books, now there are problem websites and apps. So that's an important way of studying uh, some people study from books. Uh, it used to be necessary in the West to study from books because you didn't have teachers when you were eight. Now it's now it's a little different in that regard. Anyway, after I decided this is a hobby I want to do, but I would rather do it well than poorly, I got a teacher. I played a game with him and then reviewed the game once a week online and sort of got better steadily. Um, and then uh, I... Got problem books and other books and, and studied the books and learned some basic patterns, the basic life and death shapes and uh, basic ideas of what you do in an end game, um, how to count a board well and quickly. And um, by 2006, I would say I had gotten down to, uh, four years after I started playing, i gotten down to 4Q. Mm-hmm. This wouldn't be a great result for the amount of effort I put in if I were 10
0: mm-hmm. or 12.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you expect a 10 or 12 year old who's been playing for four years and having lessons to be a bit stronger than that. And kids do learn faster. And in fact, um, I told myself two things when I decided I'm going to play this a lot, this game. I like this. I want this hobby. I said, Andy... You- gonna lose, so get used to losing. Mm -hmm. Everybody loses, you lose a lot. You gotta learn from losing, so get ready to lose. That was thing one. Thing two, you're gonna lose to little tiny children whose eyes just come above the table (laughs) and have to reach like this for the stones. And that's true too. And two of my favorite moments, and it really is a, a sad testament to my soul and what gives me the dopamine buzz, were playing in serious tournament games against children, and winning, and they started to cry. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, man. <laughs> As I may have a little turd-like soul in saying, okay, I'm not dead yet. Right. I'm old, but I'm not dead yet. <laughs> anyway, uh, not my favorite game ever. hmm Oh, my, my favorite game was probably at the 2011 GO Congress in Santa Barbara. I lost it. It went on for three and a half hours, and it went back and forth. I was way behind at one point because a big group of mine got killed, and I turned around because I thought one of his groups could die, but it was going to be hard, and I did it. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, okay, I'm ahead, I'm winning. And he came back, did the exact same thing to another group of mine, but it turned into a co-fight. And this co-fight went back and forth, tore up the board all over the place. Every loose thread around the board got turned into this thing and he got it back. Then I got it back almost with a much smaller co-fight and he pounded back and he won by a half a point. Oh, close. And uh, unlike some other games, there were many games I played in tournaments where we reviewed it afterwards and concluded that really neither of us won. <laughs> but one of us had made the last mistake, so the other one got the win, but they were not games we wanted anyone to see. This was a game I think we were both like, damn, that was a good game. Mm-hmm. And he looked exhausted and I looked exhausted. He had a guy named Mike Samuel from New York, really good player. And a little bit better than me at the time, and probably now. I don't know. Uh, and the image that came to mind was the opening of the uh, the James Bond movie uh, Casino Royale, <laughs> okay, uh, where uh, he has the fight in the bathroom mm-hmm. with the contact of the treasonous. Prague embassy official that he kills for his second kill to become a double O agent. And just a ghastly fight with all the glassware and ceramics and doorways in this bleak men's room being destroyed. And both of them are cut up and both of them are bruised. Mm -hmm. Both of them are exhausted. And finally he drowns the man in the toilet. And the, uh, the guy in the embassy in Prague says, Made you feel it, did he? (laughs) I lost that game with Mike Samuel, but I made him feel it. (laughs) That may be my favorite game. And uh, since then, when I play face-to-face in a tournament, I either want to win, that's that's ideal, or I want to make him feel it. (laughs) I want them to go, God damn, at the end. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Especially if they're a small child.
1: And you can do that. That's what the games are like when you play them well. Uh, so I won the 4Q division in my first Congress. That was 2006. I won the 1Q division in Virginia in 2009. Um, and that was maybe, uh, you know, my best tournament, 6-0. and um, And I've been Shodan's strength roughly ever since. But I've been mostly giving my time to organizing more than, um, you know, I, we're redoing our accounting now. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what takes uh, a lot of my time when my time goes to go. So Mm -hmm.
0: do you lose rank and go if you, uh, don't play or you lose rating because Mm -hmm. the rating that we give you
1: is, uh, to set you where you should be for, you know, for tournaments okay and yes you can lose rating mm-hmm. we try to award people ranks and uh we don't want people to lose them okay. you know the, the peak rank that you're at in your life you ought to be able to keep
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and it's you know I, it, we've had some administrative problems on that front but that's the basic idea mm-hmm. um my rank amateur rank estimate varies between one don in korea to three don in japan one don here Maybe two if I'm doing well. Then again, how to play has changed in the last few years mm-hmm. because of the computers. Right. We're learning new openings that we never knew before. Right. We don't know if they're good. We don't know why play them, but we're playing them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're learning lessons that we don't understand from these machines. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I haven't been studying the machine stuff that much, so
0: maybe I'm falling behind. I'm, I'm not sure. That's fascinating. The idea that, that... Now there's an opportunity to learn from the computer program things that on the surface level that we would look at and say, that's a weird move. Or like that move seems slow or doesn't make sense to me. Uh, And pros, you learn courage. You have to play risky moves that risk embarrassing loss Mm -hmm. because
1: otherwise you don't lose and you don't win.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: If you grind out the moves everybody knows, maybe you're not going to do well. So... They try it out and they study it, and they try it out and they study it. And um, yeah, the last version, uh, they separated Alpha Go into a thing they called Alpha Zero and separated the programming of the rules into a distinct thing. Mm-hmm. And then they had a rule set for Go that they programmed, and a rule set for Shogi, which is Japanese chess, mm-hmm. and a rule set for Western chess. And they said it, no human knowledge at all, just playing against itself, learning from scratch, mm-hmm in hours, the chess version got better than all the previous chess software in the world ever had. Wow. Mm-hmm. Which sucks for people doing really good chess software. Right. And tells you something about that methodology. And yeah, we have, we have like the equivalent of Honinbo Shusaku or Lee Sedol. Maybe we get a new one every month.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Generated by a computer. That's all the time we have for this episode today. But I do want to extend a huge thank you to Andrew Oaken for being my guest this week and adding his love for the game into the pot. Andy, thank you for coming on to the show.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me and uh, and uh, and giving me this chance to, to share my love of the game.
0: This has been another episode of the Stone Soup Podcast. I've been your host, Cody Sullivan. We are proud to be a member of the River Power Podcast Mill, and we strongly urge you to check out our other shows like Pulp for... Beyond the Veil, vale, Windsor Live, if you're looking for a slice of small town municipal workings, Too Many Hats, and Shiny Podcast for your tech and video game fix. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll be back next week when we have something else tasty to throw in the pot. Until then, this is Cody Sullivan, signing off.